And we have a CampusToCanton.com uh, extra exclusive. We got some good content for you tonight. Uh, we have a guest with us. He's at the Action Network. He's a writer and analyst at the a Action Network and at Fantasy Labs. You can find him at Matt F the Oracle on Twitter, and he just released his 2021 Debbie Fantasy Football Rankings. Matthew Friedman. Matthew, thank you for joining us uh, here at CampusToCant.com. Why did you start this process of creating your inaugural uh, Debbie Rankings, and how did you start this process? Uh, well, one, thanks for having me. Uh, as you guys know, I'm a total idiot, ignoramus when it comes to, to Debbie leagues. I, I really, I know nothing. I got into this rabbit hole because I was interested in doing research on the 2022 draft class, uh, because I'm, I'm really into mock drafts. Uh, I love dynasty. Uh, and so I was wanting to think of what is the Debbie market think of all of these skill position players who potentially could be in the draft class next year. Uh, and so I tried to find some Debbie ADP, uh, not super easy to find, especially if you want to look at lots of leagues. Uh, and so the next thing was thinking, okay, what do the, the experts say? Uh, I was starting to look at some Debbie rankings and I noticed that uh, there was a lot of disparity in the way that site to site or ranker to ranker people would value players uh, and, you know, a lot of different ways in which people could, could differ. You know, some people would focus more on production. Some people would focus on recruitment stars. Some people would focus, uh, at least this is my interpretation uh, of looking at the data. Uh, some people would focus on how many years a guy had left in college. And so uh, I didn't really want to use Debbie data all that much in thinking about, uh, my mock drafts or the big board I was coming up with for the 2022 class because there was just a lot of different ways that data could be interpreted. But to kind of go through the process, this got me interested. So I decided, okay, if I, never having played in a Debbie league, had to create rankings, um, what, how would I do that? Like, what are the things that I would value? And so that was the starting point for this process. And as I said, I, I love Dynasty. So I have, uh, you know, different models, models, you know, but uh, different ways of, of creating rankings for Dynasty. And I used a kind of early version of those models as the foundation for the model that I used to create uh, the the Debbie rankings. So basically, if if I if I if you want more information, I can give some. Uh, in creating dynasty rankings, I have three different models. Uh, one is before we have workout data. One is after we have workout data, and then one is after the draft. Uh, and so I use the earliest version of those models before we have workout data. And even in the the early version. I would normally still have uh, an input for projected draft position, but for this, uh, for the Debbie rankings, I just left that out because I'm not going to try to predict draft position that far in advance for all of these players. And, uh, and normally at that point, I also have age, which I would include in the model, but I, I don't have age data for all of these guys but, you know, it's still something that I would consider to be like a, a decent starting point for trying to project 
what these guys might do in the NFL whenever they get to the NFL. So uh, that really for me was the starting point, uh, you know, a, a version of a model that I would use in creating dynasty rankings. That's awesome. Um, so I, this, this question is probably going to be a bit like reductive kind of about what you do. So I'll apologize about that ahead of time here. Yeah, no, but, I, but, I, but I know with your background, you know, with Action Network Fantasy Labs, um, you, a lot of your work is kind of geared toward, I guess, for lack of, you know, a, a, a better term, like gaining an edge, especially as it relates to, you know, uh, betting and, and those sorts of things, you know, props and otherwise. With how varied you were saying, you know, with within the article and what you were you were just talking about a little bit there about how just varied rankings are from place to place. Do you think there is an exploitable edge in the dynasty or in the Devi world to be found? You know, and is it possible yeah. to find it? You know, sifting through this much data. Yeah. So uh, it's a good question. As again, as someone who's never played in a league, I can only surmise. But I would say, and I, I'd love your thoughts on this. Um, if people have the opportunity to undervalue the long term and overvalue the short term, they probably will. And and they, I think people do that in all walks of life. And so why wouldn't that be any different here? I, I think people do it quite a bit in Dynasty, and I could see people doing it all the more in Debbie. And so my uh, inclination entering into this process was that uh, people in general would be inclined to overvalue, and, and maybe I'm wrong, people would be inclined to overvalue the guys who would have, you know, projectably just one year left in in college and undervalue the guys who are two to three years away. Um, and so I wanted to underweight in my model the extent of uh, or the importance rather of having just one year left in college. So I used it more as a tiebreaker or kind of a glorified tiebreaker than as a a true weight in the model. And and that's why, you know, I have Robinson ahead of Hall, you know, at, at number one instead of number two. And it's not to like take anything away from Hall or anything like that. But um, in general, I'm I'm fine waiting the extra year for the player that I think is superior in any given matchup. And, you know, that's not to say that like my model always gets it right because I did literally like, I, I do not know most of the players in this data set. So I wasn't going to go in and try to futz around and be like, okay, like now I'm going to go in and actually comb through the data and try to compare and be like, no, you know what? I actually think this player should be ranked ahead of this player, even though the model says it should be reversed. I just, I just put the numbers in came up with something that I thought might work from a, a top-down approach and then just let the model stand. That, what, what you just stated is very much the, you know, the overvaluing, like the the nearer to the NFL. It has traditionally been, I think, the Debbie mindset. I do think that's shifted over the past couple of years, I want to say. Um, but there still are a lot of people and big names, you know, within the Debbie community that that push the the you know the closer you are to the NFL, the more valuable you are. So I, I like that you brought that up because I, I am very much a proponent of you know swing for the upside a little bit more, even if it, if you have to wait an extra year or two. Um, Felix, are you on that boat as well? 
Well, I mean, in our preferred format, Matthew, is campus to Canton, and that is a, a essentially a deep Debbie league. And there are essentially there are, you have two teams in the league. You have your college team, and there's a college championship. And once your players, you know, graduate and they go, they funnel to your your NFL team. And so our rank. That's why I was like, I got to talk to this guy because his rankings looks like, look like ours. Um, where you were not valuing, you know, the, the guys who are closer to the NFL. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I agree. I mean, Austin, I mean, you know, our, our rankings, we don't really care when, uh, when when people are going to the NFL because there is a championship and there is a money to be had on the college side of your campus to can league. I, I'm particularly impressed with your ranking of some of the freshmen just because those are players who could get overlooked until they're seen on the field. Just for example, Jameer Gibbs, who you have in your top five, I was very high on him last year, got him in the 30th round or whatever it is of a campus to Canton startup. Um, and just for example, in your rankings, you have Jojo Earl in your top 35. How did you get to the point of ranking a player so highly when, I mean, in the case of Jojo Earl, he's he's still in high school in Texas. He hasn't even yeah. – but full disclosure, we're high on them too. So I just wanted to hear how uh, how you came to those conclusions. Uh, it's, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the recruitment stars, which which can be very reductive. But if you have a guy who's a four or five star recruit, uh, who's you know a top three player at his position um, in his recruitment class, I feel like it kind of doesn't matter all that much when uh when he's going to enter the nfl like you want to have a shot at a guy who's at or near the top of his class whenever it is that you can have a shot at him you know what i mean and so um even though you have to you have to wait for him i mean it's you just wait you know like you wait on greatness you you take a chance on getting the best player whenever you can get him and I think it's honestly a, a discount. Like I'm looking right now, I have him number 89 overall in my rankings. Like, I mean, honestly, that feels too low. Like, like for like, and this is me saying this, like, I know nothing. But if you told me that I could have the guy who's the best player in his class at uh, a position of long lived value, you know, like if he's a wide receiver, and he's going to be a guy who maybe has a 10-year, a strong 10-year career in the NFL. And all I have to do is wait for him for a few years. Like, okay, yeah, I can be a patient guy. I think patience tends to be rewarded. So I, I mean, I can understand, I understand why he is at this spot in my rankings. Part of me thinks it's probably too low, but this is where the model put him. And so, you know, like I don't want to overvalue his recruitment status and the potential he has and undervalue, you know, the, the production and also the recruitment status that the other guys have who are ahead of him. So, you know, this, this spot makes sense to me, but a guy who's at the top of his class, you know, like you have to value him a lot. And, and, you know, we have six, we have six founders of campus to Canton.com. I think we have eight rankers now. Jojo Earl is in our uh, collectively in our top 20 at the position. Um, and we all come at, uh, come at it from different angles. Like I, I played a little bit of college football. Uh, we have a, an analytics guy. So we all have different backgrounds to come to a conclusion. Um, 
Austin, go ahead. You got the next question. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, you, you know, in the article and, and speaking here again, you, you said that you kind of you used that model that's like your pre, you know, yeah. uh, workout data uh, that includes, I guess, uh, at least from what the article said, recruiting pedigree, mock draft data, college production and historical draft trends. So how do you balance those different things with guys like with the guys that have never played college football versus junior rising seniors like yeah. how, how do you kind of juggle some of that different stuff uh, within that model because that's it that, that sounds very interesting to me yeah so for the uh, i i think what you described is what goes into um the top 50 big board that i created in trying to kind of project for the nfl draft what goes into um okay. the the pre-workout model that i have is uh production data uh of course uh, recruitment status and, um, and age, you know, or, you know, like experience. So, uh, if a guy's, uh, you know, entering the NFL after three years in college, you know, is, is he a true junior? Is he a redshirt senior? You know, so like those factors. And also I'll just say, I tend to look at production, I think a little bit differently than, um, than a lot of people. Like I, I look at some of like the the core things that everyone looks at, but I'm I'm probably weird in that I I overweight some of the things that other people maybe don't care about. So for instance, for running backs, I care a lot about whether a guy's a good receiver or not. So like his receiving production and then any any special teams production that he has with receivers. I care quite a bit if the guy actually has rushing production and then special teams production. Um, with quarterbacks, I care a lot about whether a guy has rushing production. And so, like, to give a sense of, like, when I say production, like, I look at the normal things that you would look at for a running back or, like, a wide receiver, like market share, dominator rating, different things like that. But then I also like I think part of what differentiates some wide receivers from others in my model is like the degree of ancillary production a guy has. So that's just kind of like a, a big picture setup. Um, the question you asked specifically had to do with guys who don't have any production weighed against guys who have quite a bit of college production. And the answer for that is. Um, I almost ignored production completely when it came down to guys who don't have any production. And there aren't really all that many of them um, in the model. Uh, so uh, Travion Henderson, for instance, uh, Jojo, but there really aren't all that many guys in here who have like zero college production. And so for them, it really was just about recruitment status and, um, and, and that's it, honestly, it's, it's basically, but like, I'll just say, I think recruitment status and, and, and Debbie guys, I, I am imagining are ahead of the curve on this. Like it took me years as a dynasty player to understand the importance of recruitment status. And then it took me even more years to get to the point of building that into a model of being like, Hey, wait a minute. That's something I could quantify, like I could put in a model. And recruitment status, it's indicative of so much. It indicates, like it's predictive of how much college production a guy is going to get, 
uh, the school a guy is going to go to, like the caliber of school he's going to go to. Uh, recruitment status is correlated quite a bit with uh, draft position for the NFL. And then, you know, from there, it is correlated a decent amount with NFL production. So, like, if you know a guy's recruitment status, you actually know, like, quite a bit about him. Um, so even though I didn't have production for, uh, you know, we'll say like, uh, Caleb Williams, uh, I still, I still know that he's a five-star recruit who's going to Oklahoma. Like I know quite a bit about him just by knowing that. So, um, that honestly, so it, it seems like cheap to say, like I ignored production completely, but like, there's just kind of a void there and the model knows how much a five-star recruit is worth. And so it still put Caleb Williams number 43 overall because it knows that a five-star wide receiver, sorry, a five-star quarterback going to Oklahoma uh, is worth more than whatever production a lot of other guys have. Uh Matthew, would we be would we be stretching you to ask you some player specific questions? I know um, you know you can you, you can ask numbers in there. I mean, <laughs> okay. you, you can ask. That doesn't mean I'll give a good answer. Well, I mean, the thing that I'm interested in is where we where I saw a consistency between you know my I don't I, listen. I went to public school. I'm not a I'm not a math guy, um, but I still saw a consistency between some of our rankings. Just for example, uh, Carson Strong is a player that I have been uh, very high on. Mountain West Conference, you know, not a Power 5 guy, but you have him uh, in the top uh, 14, top 15 uh, in, in your uh, Debbie rankings. How, how does he get – how does a, a player like Carson Strong, who's, you know, G5 guy, how does he get that, that high in your ranks? Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, and so for him – it comes down to uh, – I'm sorry. I'm just kind of looking at stuff here. Um, so he's incredibly accurate with the football. He doesn't turn it over. Um, he's unfortunately not that great of a runner, which is why I would say that he's actually like number 14 in these rankings instead of like number eight or something like that. Um, but uh, it really is the production and then the fact that uh, he is eligible for this next year's draft. And I think that uh, – let me kind of go over here to the big board that I created. I'm pretty sure that I have him uh, within my my top 50 big board. And, like, the projection that I have for him um, for the, uh, the NFL draft – like, it would not surprise me if he goes in the first round. Um, and if not in the first round, like, he he feels very much like a second rounder. Like, you know, top 50, top 60 uh, in terms of where he could go in the draft. Uh, and although I didn't, um, I didn't include uh, my projected draft range in the model, um, I think that might be – I think that might be sneaking in a little bit because of the production that he has. Yeah, that's that, that that's awesome. I mean, I would uh, agree with everything you said about Carson Strong. Um, 
Bijan Robinson. So we at campus2camp.com, we have ranking summits where we essentially argue about our rankings and we, you know, kind of get on each other for how we have player players ranked. Uh, All of the six founders had Bijan Robinson uh, number one amongst the running backs, uh, except for one guy had Brees Hall at at number one. Um, why is Bijan Robinson, who has one year of very good production, uh, why is he number one over Brees Hall, who has two years of very good production? Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the simple answer would be that Robinson is a, a five star and, and Hall, is a, Hall is a four star. But, but I, I mean, I'd also say if you look at the, the rookie year production, um, because I, I don't look at, at production as like, um, like the most recent year production or just total production. Um, like it, it is weighted a little bit. And so if you compare what Robinson did in his first year, um, it, it's not as if like it's significantly worse than what we saw out of Brees Hall in his first year. It's actually pretty comparable. So even though Hall is a year closer to the NFL and although he's coming off of a really great sophomore season, like I think they're actually production wise, pretty comparable. Uh, And so, I mean, on the basis of what they did as freshmen. And so given that I think production wise, they're comparable. uh, I would go with Robinson because he has the higher recruitment status. And and also I'll just say one thing like this isn't this isn't weighted in there but I think it's probably encapsulated in the recruitment status like Robinson's the bigger dude like and it's not yes. like that it's not like that has to matter but you know like if you give me the option I'm often going to take the bigger running back and so you know Robinson at you know 220 ish pounds versus uh, Brees at 215. I mean they're it's comparable. Like they're both you know on the bigger side of being running backs, but you know I, I don't know. Ultimately, it comes down to comparable enough production with Robinson having the edge because of his recruitment status. So do you weight some positions better than others as well? Just looking at like if you just look at a snapshot, your top 12 are sitting here in front of me. There are like three receivers and the rest are QB running back. Does your model just account for, you know, fantasy purposes, running back and quarterback are kind of king compared to wide receiver. And you had that discussion with Travis May on Twitter today about tight end, about about how you should be valuing that as well. Yeah, I, honestly, I was worried that I was underweighting wide receivers when I first saw this. And I, I'd love your feedback on that. Like there, there's a risk that I am underweighting wide receivers in, in Dynasty, I tend to be pretty heavy on wide receivers because they have longer careers and because I think um, they're also more projectable in that like, if a wide receiver is actually good, you can see that a little, a little more cleanly in the data and you can project him a little, a little safer to the NFL. Whereas with a running back, you don't, I don't know. I feel like it's harder to know if he's actually good or not. Maybe he just got a ton of carries in college and he's actually not that good. Um, and if a wide receiver, like he has, I feel like wide receivers have a little more of a runway, like because 
you can have multiple wide receivers on the field at a time in the NFL. Whereas if a running back gets in the NFL and he sucks, like that's kind of it. Like he's not going to be playing many more snaps, you know? So like, he's not going to have the opportunity to impress with his route running and the quarterback throws him more targets than you would expect or something like that. So um, I was worried. I was a little bit too low on wide receivers and maybe I am because just philosophically I'd like to be high on receivers because they're longer lived assets. If you hit on a wide receiver, that guy could pay off for a decade. Whereas if you hit on a running back, you maybe have a good five-year run, but it's probably not going to go much more than that. But as you say, like you really do need running backs in, in the league. Like it's, it's hard to win a, a league if you do not have strong running backs. So I'll just say like, without knowing anything, I feel comfortable with the weight that I have now in terms of, this being a little bit heavier on running backs and quarterbacks. Um, but I'd like to know if you guys think I'm too low on wide receivers. I do know. So um, I don't know how familiar you are because you're just getting into the Debbie stuff, like the, the Debbie watch. Um, they, for years have kind of been like, you know, they were the first ones to do like really deep Debbie rankings and they, uh, they do like a yearly publication um, with, they have like six guys over there, I think, but we had one of them on Kyle Francis onto our show a couple months ago he does a lot of work with, you know, digging into historical trends as well. And he was saying that um, wide receivers uh, with lofty recruiting status actually uh, tr- don't, uh, they transition worse to college and then to the NFL than top running backs and top quarterbacks on average. That's so I just didn't know if, if that was data that, you know, you had factored in or if it just kind of turned out that way when, when you end up putting everything together. Uh, I, I just found that very interesting. I had that in the back of my head as I was looking through and I was like, ah, okay then. That's interesting. Um, I I was not aware of that. Um, let me rephrase that. I know that. No, I'll just I'll stick with that. Like I wasn't aware of it. Like to that degree. Yeah. I want to ask you a question about a player that is not included on your rank. This is actually a question from our Discord. Okay. Um, uh, the question was, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase the question, but the question was, why is Grayson McCall missing from your QB rankings? Grayson McCall a is a dual threat quarterback from Coastal Carolina. Um, kind of popped this season as a redshirt freshman, but I'm assuming that he would not be included on your rankings because I believe Grayson McCall was like a zero star recruit and kind of came out of nowhere and so that would essentially just tank his his standing in your in your rankings yeah so i uh, amazingly actually do know who he is um but that's just that's just because i was digging into um you know guys who might go in the 2022 class and like honestly i doubt he will go in, in the 2022 class just because like i think he's the kind of player who will need to have like multiple, like three, maybe even four strong years of college production for the NFL to care enough about a guy coming from Coastal Carolina. But technically he's eligible for 2022. So I was at least looking at him. And uh, in my quarterback big board, um, in terms of like trying to predict the NFL draft, not for Debbie, I have him number 18, um, which would put him at, you know, like undrafted free agent. You know, so like uh, I right now I'm viewing him as the kind of guy who does not have an NFL future. And uh, you're you're right that like out of all of the quarterbacks um, that I looked at, he does have the lowest recruitment status. Um, I think he was, you know, maybe a two star. 
Um, but you know, yeah, he's, uh, in terms of like the way that I look at stuff, like he's kind of a non-entity. Yeah, that's fair. Um, are there any players that, you know, you put through your model and you're, you're like, Ooh, that's, uh, that's someone I need to pay attention to for this 2021 college football season or, or that you're excited about that we haven't already spoken about. Well, a, a couple of players stood out to me whenever I was doing this. And so one is, uh, and I'm just, I, I never know how to say his name, Chris Olive. Is that how, is that how his name is pronounced? I, I think we say Olave. Olave. You know, okay, great. Really different way. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, so Olave, uh, he's number six in my uh, wide receiver rankings, which just kind of like gut check felt a little bit low because in my wide receiver big board, which is like kind of trying to predict how, how the NFL draft will unfold. Um, I think I have him number two, maybe, I mean, he's, you know, like certainly top three. Um, and although I don't have any, um, any draft capital or projected draft capital included in the model, like I know that he's going to go, I'd say no later than round two, but he's, he's got a real shot at, at, you know, being a day one wide receiver. And so knowing that having him as, and knowing that he is just one year away, having him as the number six wide receiver felt a little bit low. So like he really was the one player that I was thinking about going in and tweaking and adjusting up because uh, just because of like what I think I know about him. Um, but you know, like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, another guy who stood out to me, um, is Arik Gilbert. I'm assuming that's how you say his name. Um, and he's Eric, he, Eric Gilbert, Eric, Eric Gilbert. Okay. He stood out primarily because, um, there has been a, a tight end who has really flashed in all of the mock drafts I've looked at. Uh, and that's Jalen, uh, 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 and so for there to be someone ahead of Weidermeyer, like that really caught my eye. Um, and I'm assuming, you know, based on the model, so much of it comes out and there, and of course, uh, Michael, Michael Mayer, Michael Meyer was also ahead of Weidermeyer. So I'm assuming those two guys being ahead of him, you know, they're both five-star recruits. It, it looks like that's probably what, what it comes down to, but to know that I already basically have Weidermeyer locked in as a first rounder in my early 2022 NFL mocks. And then to know that there are two guys ranked ahead of him in the Debbie rankings, like that really caught my eye because it's, you know, it's not every year that we have a first round tight end, um, especially one who like at this point is already like fairly consensus as a first rounder. So, uh, Olive caught my eye, and then the two tight ends ranked ahead of uh, Weidermeyer. I, I'm just sure I'm screwing up names all over the place. But the, these are the guys who stood out to me. Yeah, um, uh, Gilbert is actually the highest-rated uh, tight end recruit in the history of 24-7 ranking. So warranted. I mean, and I think that that's how we have them ranked. Uh, Gilbert, some some – some folks have dropped Gilbert down to two because of his 
transfer portal thing and whether or not he's going to go back to LSU, but that's the only reason. And he had an excellent season as a freshman. I want to go back to Chris Olave for a second and ask you about your big board. Um, for I mean, you're, you're into the numbers. Does it matter that Chris Olave is going back to Ohio State for his senior year? Would you have preferred him come out as a ju- junior? Would that have you know boosted his st- his stock in your model? Yeah, I mean, I would have I would have loved, and and that's part of what's happening here in the the Debbie rankings is that he is uh, a returning senior, uh, and so that that does hurt him. Uh, if he were a junior, I, I think he'd be higher up, higher up the board. Um, but for the the sort of like mock draft predictive big board, um, just in terms of the things that I look at for that, I still think that if he's not the first wide receiver off the board, he will be one of the first three wide receivers off the board. And that has more to do with trying to predict what NFL decision makers will do. And um, they, although, you know, we have a history of seeing guys who weren't early declarants who go in round one and end up busting, there's a history of those guys. The NFL still is willing to draft them. And so even though I think uh, it hurts Olave that he will be a senior going into the draft, I think the NFL will still view him based primarily on what he did early in his career uh, and then anything that he adds on top of that in his senior year, you know, if he can have a not like Devonte Smith type of season, but something that approaches that something to where it's just like, wow, this guy really blew it out of the water his senior year. I think the NFL will look at that favorably and draft him in the first round. It's going to be interesting to see because they're going to have a, a new quarterback, a new starting quarterback and a first time starting quarterback there yeah. at Ohio State. And they added Travion Henderson, who's, you know, a dynamic player coming out of the backfield in his own right. So I, I, I'm really interested in tracking that story to see if he made the right decision, similar to uh, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris from, from last year, uh, just deciding to come out in 2021 as opposed to uh, 2020. Or Devonta um, Smith, for that matter. I think Olave is hoping for the the Devonta Smith treatment, whether he can do it or not. You know, but that uh, you know, I, they, they seem similar to yeah. me just just at first glance. No, I, I think they really are similar. They even have like the similar like slight body types, yeah. and I think they're similar in that like you look at Garrett Wilson, who's the number one wide receiver. You know, and you think of like Jalen Waddle going ahead of Devontae Smith in the draft. Like if Waddle doesn't suffer an injury last year, like Devontae Smith might have a very different senior season. And like, I'm just curious about like which one of these wide receivers at Ohio State like wins out this year. Like does Wilson jump over Alave and like really become the true number one receiver in that offense? Um, he was – I think pretty impressive as a freshman. He's got the five-star pedigree. Um, I mean, I could see him like really being the the number one guy there at Ohio State and like Olave actually having something of a senior slump. Let's stay on Ohio State because you have Julian Fleming in your top 15. He comes out as a freshman and is not very productive, but he was the number one wide receiver in his class. Um at what point is it? I mean, obviously, if he face plants again in the sophomore year, um, it, then he'll probably drop down on your rankings. But did his lack of production as a freshman 
how, how much did that play a factor in his ranking versus versus his number one status? Yeah, uh, literally none. You know, like it's it's just the fact that he was a, a five star. You know, so like one of the guys who who did. Let me. Did he not play at all, or did he have just almost no production? Like no, he played just just no just no production. Yeah. So um, let me. Sorry, let me get to. They him brought in a loaded. See. They brought in a loaded yeah. class at Ohio State last year between Mookie Cooper, G. Scott, who switched from wide receiver to tight end, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And 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 Julian Fleming. So yeah, his his production is a zero. Like it, it almost. It's not that it would have been better in the model if he had redshirted, but like it, it's it's basically as if he redshirted the way this this breaks down. Yeah, it, it really is just he was a five star recruit uh, who is at Ohio State. Like those two things like mean a lot. You know, playing at like a, a major college program as uh, a highly recruited guy like that will put him very high in the model we should not our our co-host on our podcast is also named matt we can't tell matt that he just said that because he's a big ohio state fan he he always says the same thing a five-star ohio state matters um so if you could retract that statement live for us actually that would be (laughs) just just keep in mind again i do not know what i'm talking about that's that is the most important thing that you should take away from this conversation uh, a, we can put that asterisk, asterisk on it. Perfect, perfect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all um, I have, Felix. I know, in case you have anything else, but yeah, I've got I've got one more. Um, so you did some research on the 2022 class. Your big board is also available at Action Network. I want to ask you about the quarterbacks. Uh, you have your top six as Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, Keaton Slovis, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, and JT Daniels. Is it is it too early to ask you what you believe or if you how the twenty twenty two class uh, stacks up to the twenty twenty one class? I, I think the twenty twenty one class is better. Um, I I mean, one, it's easier to say that because it's in the books, and we know that five guys go in round one. Um, I like in the mock draft that I did, I had six guys going in round one for 2022, which I would bet strongly against that. Like ultimately I, you know, like the, the only time that's happened in NFL history is the legendary 1983 class, which had, you know, like three hall of famers in it, Like this, it's not, it, it's highly unlikely to happen. Um, plus I'll just say the top three that we had in 2021 were great. I mean, like obviously Trevor Lawrence, like, I think he's clearly better than whoever goes at the 101 in the 2022 class. But after him, like, Justin Fields, I think, should have been the number two quarterback in this class. Like, he was he was right up there in recruitment status uh, in the 2018 recruitment class with Trevor Lawrence. Like, he was the number one dual threat quarterback. Lawrence was the number one pocket passing quarterback. What Fields did in college, I think, stands up. I think he should have been number two even though he wasn't, uh, I still think that he has uh, the potential for a good NFL career. Hopefully he doesn't get derailed by the coaching staff in Chicago. And then you have Trey Lance, who, I mean, as a 21-year-old dual-threat quarterback, like, that's the dream, you know, like, especially for fantasy football. Like, that, that is the dream. You do not have many guys like that who come along. And so those three, even if you don't count Zach Wilson and Mac Jones 
just those three next to the top three right now. And we'll just say it's Rattler, Howell, and Slovis. Maybe that ordering will change throughout the season. But I think the top three of 2021 compared to right now, the top three I'm projecting for 2022, I think all across the board, they are better. Uh, And so I think the 2021 class I do prefer, but the 2022 class, at least right now, entering into the season, it looks like it has pretty good depth. So it wouldn't be a surprise if we saw four and maybe even five guys once again get into round one. But I don't think the quality of those guys is as strong. Yeah, I agree with that last statement. I mean, I actually asked the question having my own preconceived notions about the 2022 class. Quite frankly, I would be devastated if my team took any of the guys (laughs) after number two. Um, I like how I like Rattler, um, if, but if my team took Slovis, Ritter, Willis, or or Daniel, maybe we don't. I don't know about JT Daniels yet. I would be I would be absolutely devastated. The other guy that I like, who is also in your top fifty, is uh, Matt Corral out of of Ole Miss, who who has the talent and the recruiting pedigree that you like, but he is turnover prone. So we'll have to see um, if he can correct that. So. Um, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you the question, though, because you're looking at the data um, objectively. Uh, so I wanted to see if you had, had the same conclusion. So um, I, It's nice to assume that I'm objective in all of this. <laughs> I mean, you know, because, because there are still assumptions that I have to make when I'm weighting things in the models. You know, so like I, I try to be as objective and, and data based as I can. But, you know, like everything has to filter through my brain. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuring you, I am far from objective. Uh, I, I just, I try to be whenever I can. Um, Matthew, I don't have anything else. Do you have questions for us? Uh, any, yeah. Any, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I do like you guys are uh, the, the Debbie experts here. So the, the campus to Canton format that really intrigues me. And you mentioned that, uh, so you basically have two different leagues, both in competition at the same time. So I could see there being a, a, a kind of a, a push and a pull within your college roster between wanting guys who can produce right away uh, against subpar competition, but who are highly unlikely to be contributors in the NFL. And so I could see there being potentially uh, an exploitable avenue there where if most people in your league are really valuing the five-star and the four-star recruits and the guys who are playing at major college programs and the guys who have a real chance of contributing in the NFL, where they leave a lot of super productive but you know non-promising college players available where you can have a pretty good chance of year in and year out being competitive in your college league without actually being all that strong in your NFL league, because you're not, you're, you're not like graduating guys into your NFL roster. But so I'm just kind of curious about that dynamic in the college league of having guys who have an NFL chance but who aren't going to be as productive as some of the guys who are playing in the group of five conferences. Yeah, I think, I think you and I just became best friends. 
because um, that that has been something that I I've been preaching for a couple of years. Now. Yeah. Yes, I I think there is, especially because there, you know, Devi is a niche. College fantasy is even more of a niche than Devi, and, and it's really that is like the third layer that's added onto this that kind of you know adds you know complexity because there wasn't enough already with what we were we already had going on. Um, but yes, I think there is definitely an exploitable gap on the college side to win almost every single year because it's money you know money's money i don't care right. how i'm winning the money you know if i because it's a lot of leagues they'll do like a slightly smaller pot on that side they'll say the you know the nfl is the ultimate goal but still you know 40 percent for 60 percent, you know i'll take the 40 percent pot and and be happy with that at the end of the day so yes that is a and that that is the big debate when you're doing drafts you know when do i shift from debbie to to college you know when who how what positions do i target to do that so that that is kind of what we struggle and juggle with every single day and there are some players that are a perfect combination of where you can exploit that loophole and get the college production elite college production and they still have either a, a very good chance at the nfl you can a, a player like carson strong Carson Strong is going to put up huge numbers at Nevada, um, but he could also be a day two uh, NFL quarterback. You've got Sincere McCormick uh, in your in your Debbie rankings. He's another player at uh, I always forget if it's UTSA or it's it's yeah it's University of Texas San Antonio. Um, he's another player uh, in that mold. Last year, Jalen Darden I think was the number one wide receiver in college fantasy, and he ends up going in the in the fifth round uh, to, to the, the Buccaneers. So yeah, there's, there are absolutely those loopholes that you can exploit. Uh, just for example, you know, Ronnie rivers will be uh, out of Fresno state will be a top five running back in college fantasy. You can roster him, but he probably doesn't have that big of an NFL future. So um, those, it seems like those players tend to go, you know, some uh, in the mid rounds of a startup or even, or even later because everyone is grabbing, gravitating towards Julian Fleming, Demond uh, Demas, Jojo Earl, those caliber of players because they want to be able to funnel those players from their college side to, to the NFL side of their leagues. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and what you said about uh, sometimes those guys who play at the lower levels still end up making it like that is interesting like you i think if you i think it would be hard to scout those guys but if you found a way to scout those guys um that could be really intriguing like i'm thinking of someone like uh like gabriel davis you know who was a, a fourth rounder but who now could have a kind of intriguing nfl career you know, like if you could find guys, it's not, I mean, like, I don't know, Antonio Gandy Golden, you know, like if you can find guys who produce in college, but then end up going in the middle rounds in the NFL, like some of them will eventually hit. Um, and, and maybe it would be easier to do it at the running back position versus wide receiver. Um, I, I mean, I would be interested if you guys have have thoughts on like positions where it's easier to kind of dumpster dive or, or try to like free ride uh, on the college side of things and then have a guy actually hit in the NFL. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. I don't think it's difficult at 
because at every position I'm looking for traits. So at running back, usually I'm looking for size. Like if you're 215 pounds plus and you're catching the ball and I'm taking a look at you on film and you look decently fast, it's going to pique my interest. Uh, the same thing at the wide receiver position, even though I don't care that much about size, but I'm looking for certain things that just kind of stick out to me. Um, and it quite, it quite frankly, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what, level of football that you're playing at because I can look at and see um, at least what you're listed at. I can see if you had any high school testing and via ESPN recruiting or 24 seven. So kind of putting all of those yeah. factors together, I can say, Hey, is this a player, even though he's playing at UAB, Austin Watkins, does he, that's a terrible example because I was really high on him and then he went undrafted, but it's just an example. Like he was listed as Austin Watkins was listed as 6'3", 205 pounds his junior year. And he was uh, in, in 2019, he was right up there with CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Waddle, as far as um, yards per catch average. So he was taking the top off the defense. It's a player that I gravitated towards, given his size, his speed that I saw in film and, and his uh, and his production. Um, so you miss you miss. Yeah. But um, but but that but but I think that you can look for those traits at any level of football. Yeah. And to so, be, and to be honest, ahead. I was going to say, I think that raises a great point that, you know, we as people, you know, everybody, we're not as good about predicting these kinds of things as we think we are which is why some people gravitate toward, you know, just trying to play the odds with those five stars. But if you let people take those and then just kind of take a bunch more bites, the, 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 the lower hanging apple, so to speak, perhaps you can still walk away with some guys that, that obviously, you know, weren't top of their class, but end up, you know, doing something in college and making their way to the NFL. That's, that's often how I kind yeah. of look at it. Like, like some guys who stand out in this regard, like think of uh, like Aaron Jones, you know, like yeah. who is who is playing at you know a relatively small school, uh, right? Like El Paso, right? Like UT El Paso, and and now is like the lead back for you know Aaron Rodgers' offense, uh, just like filthy with touchdowns. Uh, I would say like uh, any. I mean, this probably doesn't matter anymore because the coaching staff is gone. But like any guy who is getting a thousand yards from scrimmage at Memphis over the past four years, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, hey, like it would have been great having all of those guys uh, because all of them ended up actually, you know, getting into the NFL. And some of them are pretty intriguing. You know, uh, Antonio Gibson, especially um, think of even like Zach Moss. I mean, I know he was playing in the Pac-12, but it's not like Utah is, you know, like a school that people really care about in the Pac-12 um, or, or, you know, even like Devin Singletary, you know, like just think, I mean, yeah, there are. There are players, maybe it's a little bit easier to do this at the running back position. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is something intriguing about going after those guys, specifically targeting the players who are, who are at smaller schools uh, and thinking of like, does this guy, if he has the college production, will he have the traits to get him drafted no later than the fourth round? in the NFL. Like, I, I think that would be a pretty exploitable way of trying to approach this. And the great thing about it is you don't, you don't have to spend a lot of draft capital on those types of players. Just, yeah. uh, and Austin, if you can, if you can think of any players that meet this criteria, I'm thinking of a guy like Ulysses Bentley, um, who's coming out of um, SMU. He, he can catch the ball. 
He's uh, he's going to be, you know, he should be an elite producer this season after starting as a redshirt freshman. And so he that's an example of a player. I mean, I have him ranked 28 amongst my running backs, but he's a player that I'm keeping an eye on because I can one, he's going to help me win on the college side of my campus to Canton leagues. And he has the chance to be a third round draft pick whenever he decides to come out. You mentioned Aaron Jones. I mean, I remember watching Aaron Jones at UTEP, and he had the elite rushing production, but he had plays where they were throwing, like, deep, deep passes to it. I'm like, how are they – they're throwing these deep passes to this running back. Um, and lo and behold, he ends up being used like that eventually at, in, in Green Bay. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I think that you can you can find you can find those players. Austin, any players like that that you can think of that, you know, maybe G5 or lower power five um, – that that you can you can use on the college side of your campus to Canton leagues, and then they have a chance at the NFL. I had two guys that just jump out in the top of my head. Mountain, you know, Mountain West is still you know NFL guys come from the Mountain West every year. It's not like we're projecting the Sun Belt. Um, George Halani, who's the starting running back at Boise State, um, and Boise has put running backs in the NFL yeah. within the past decade. Um, new coaching staff, but you know whatever. Um, and then Tyler Algier at BYU. Uh, who was kind of their their main back last year? I think those are two names that just pop off the top of my head as guys that and and they both have you know NFL size. Um, neither will have the recruiting pedigree. I mean, I'm pretty sure Algier was a zero star walk on linebacker that shifted to running back, um, so they they might not pop in that way. But those are just names that that pop to the back the, the front of my mind. You know, I'm just and now I'm kind of like going through past drafts. I mean. Andy Isabella didn't hit in the NFL, but I mean, that guy was incredibly productive and he was a second round draft pick. Like you, you really couldn't do any better than that. If you played the strategy, of course, unless you went with Deontay Johnson, who was drafted in the third round. Uh, and then now looks like the number one receiver for the Steelers. Like there are, I mean, there are significant the ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, well, I don't know. I mean, hey, Chase Claypool, <laughs> like that, that guy's a grown man, but um I mean, yeah, there are ways I would imagine of of using this strategy and it paying off big time if you hit. So, Matthew Friedman, we appreciate you so much for coming on to talk to us about your uh, Debbie rankings. It was an interesting read. Uh, you can find Matthew at uh, Matt F the Oracle on Twitter. Um, find him at the Action Network and at Fantasy Labs. Matt, anything that uh, that you want to get out there before we let you go? Uh, no, I mean, just uh, as you said, you can follow me on Twitter uh, and I will be um, it's interesting. Like I've never really gone this deep into uh, the upcoming class this early. And so I'm starting to do that now. And I think I'm going to be uh, putting out more pieces that have to do with, um, you know, kind of like player profiles, uh, you know, looking at. Uh, guys in the 2022 draft class, uh, starting with the quarterbacks, quick pieces, just saying, you know, like what I think about them, uh, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, roughly where I think they will be drafted in the upcoming class. Uh, And then, you know, also maybe a little analysis on like whether I'm betting on that guy to win the Heisman or or like am I betting on that guy right now to be the number one pick, stuff like that. Um, So I'll have some pieces like that coming out probably in, you know, within the next few months, you know, just kind of like dripping, drabbling that uh, as we start to head towards the 2021 college season. Uh, 
you got your rankings. We're going to have to get you in a campus to Gantt league now. We just have we just we have to do it, so. fellas. I, I can't. Take it. <laughs> I, I really I, I don't know if I should uh, because I again like I just I know my personality. Like once I get into something, I really get into it, and uh, I honestly just don't know if I have the time for it. I'll be like I'll lose my job because I won't be doing the work I need to do because I, I'm too busy digging into you know like group of five freshman running backs trying to scout them for like, like five years from now like in the NFL. Like Alfred. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's, there's a, uh, there's, I don't know, like I'll, I'll consider it, but honestly for my well being, I don't know if I should do it. Matthew Friedman. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks guys.